The Money series continues. In episode 205, I shared with you my personal money story and journey to wealth. And in episode 207, Victoria Washington and I had a profound conversation on the frequency of wealth and the importance of bringing your body on your journey to healing your relationship with money and building wealth. I have been getting so many messages and reflections on my solo episode, and I'm so grateful that it is resonating, that it is bringing the topic of money from a new angle, new energy into your life, and perhaps inspiring you to review it from the expanded place where you are in your life, not what you've been unconsciously programmed to view it as growing up, but truly creating a mindful, consciously chosen relationship with how you interact with money and wealth in your own life. So today, my guest is Allegra Moet Brantley. She is the founder of Factora. I spoke about my experience taking the Factora Wealth Circle online experience on episode 205 at length, so you can check that out there. It was one of the most organized and helpful courses I have ever taken on anything, and it completely transformed my own financial foundation, the actions I take in my management of money in my life with my husband, and I highly recommend it to anyone who is looking for that clarity. If you don't want to scour the internet and look for answers in thousands of different places, but you want to arrive at one place where in a community of other women, you want to go over these different ways to manage, invest, save your money, then Factora Wealth Circle was fantastic. I cannot recommend it enough. On personal level, on professional level, on financial freedom level, I learned so much and it definitely makes you apply it right away in the course if you put the energy into it. So if it feels like the next right move for you, I do have a discount code for all of my listeners who end up signing up for the Factora Wealth Circle. I'll put the link in the show notes and the code is KSENIA50. So that's my name and the number 50. In this conversation with Allegra, you get to know the backstory of how she started this company, the other businesses that Allegra ran before starting Factora, how her earliest memory is the driving force behind her mission to lead 1 million women to 1 million in net worth with Factora, what led her to become disillusioned with the corporate world and start her own journey as an entrepreneur, what led her to shutting down her business and how she overcame emotionally and mentally this entrepreneurial failure and made space for the next chapter, how she became a salary negotiation coach, the importance of having a solid financial foundation, why budgeting does not work. We also talk about what some of Allegra's investments look like today and how she splits the financial management responsibility with her husband how she met her husband and moved to Austin, Texas, where me and Eric are moving shortly as well, why Factora intentionally turned down external funding, the financial mantra that guides Allegra's wealth journey. She shares it towards the very end, and I love it so much. So make sure that if you're looking for this little something to take action on and start applying right away, Make sure you listen to the very end and see if this mantra applies to you and if you want to start using it as well.
Before we begin, I'm so excited to introduce you to the sponsor of this episode, Mudwater. It's one of my favorite products that I use every single day. I'll be honest with you, it's been on my list of dream brands to partner with for years, probably since I started the podcast. Okay, so what is Mudwater? If we're connected on Instagram or TikTok, you probably have already seen me making my morning beverage with Mudwater. Here's the thing. Mudwater is a coffee alternative, but I love drinking it with my coffee. I typically make a shot of espresso, froth some oat milk with Mudwater, and serve it hot or rice depending on the weather. Mudwater has four adaptogenic mushrooms and Ayurvedic herbs. It's got functional mushrooms, which I love, like lion's mane, chaga, and reishi, plus spices like cinnamon and turmeric, and it gives you the energy without the crash or anxiety or jitters because it has one-seventh of the caffeine of a cup of coffee. Now, what I notice is when I drink coffee alone, there's jitters, and a little bit later on, there's a crash. But when I drink it with mud water, I don't get all these weird coffee side effects. On its own, mud water is like a next-level chai cacao beverage. The cool thing about it is that it easily dissolves in liquid, whether it's nut milk or water. There's no brewing needed. I typically use a handheld frother, and it does the job really, really well. In the summer, I also love making a mud water chai smoothie with almond milk, frozen banana, almond butter, collagen, and mud water. It's so, so good. Mud water comes in recyclable tins. They are really beautiful. I love reusing them. And what I've been doing is subscribing to the 100 serving bag of mud water and then just refilling my tin. There aren't a lot of products I love enough to subscribe to, and this is one of them. To try Mudwater, you can go to mudwater.com and use code Ksenia to get 15% off your first purchase. That's M-U-D-W-T-R dot com and use code Ksenia, K-S-E-N-I-A, for 15% off. Currently, all orders ship within U.S. and Canada. Another reason I love Mudwater is because they donate a percentage of earnings to psychedelic research which is a field that is dear to my heart and one that has come up in so many of podcast conversations. I am so grateful to partner with such aligned brands to be sponsors of the show. It helps pay for all of the production costs. And honestly, every time I think about it, I'm just so moved and grateful that I get to do what I love the most, which is to have these conversations and I get to get paid for it. It really shows me that it is possible to be in our highest expression and our highest service and be provided for, fully provided for. I get to amplify a brand that I believe in with my full heart, and you potentially get to discover a new brand and a new product that will add value to your own life. Now, let's get to the episode. Like the champagne. Like the champagne. That's what I think every time I see your name. (laughs) <laughs> and that's what I was named for, truly. My, Is that true? Um, yeah, my there's a great story. My mother was partying at the Copacabana Palace <laughs> in Brazil. She she did grow up in Brazil, but she partied there often. And she met Freddie Chandon, whose family owned Moet Chandon at the time. It now is owned by LVMH. And they probably had a lot of champagne between them that night and she made a deal. She said, if I name my firstborn child after the champagne, will you promise to throw 
the uh, 21st birthday with champagne fountains? And he said yes. Whoa. And she kept her side of the bargain and the family no longer owned the company. So (laughs) I didn't get my champagne fountains yet. Yet. Well, now that the story is getting out there, if anybody is connected to LVMH in any way, please let them know. Integrity is important to us in this community. And Allegri is up to some big things. And maybe, you know, Rivers of Champagne is not the perfect timing for you now and the stage of your life you're in, but you can always move it to another time. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to do champagne fountains at any point in life. So find me. Okay. Okay. I take that back. I take everything I said back. Listen to Allegra. So I love that we're starting this conversation with a hidden story that probably would not have come up within Effectora Wealth Circle. We were just talking about how I, a few weeks ago, I posted a solo episode where I shared my wealth journey, my money story, and my experience with Factora Circle, which you are the founder of. So if anybody wants to go into my experience and the details of it, you can go to episode 205. And this is the space for us to get to know the human that created it, your entrepreneurial journey, Allegra, your own wealth journey. So I would love to just start in one of those places exactly, either your own wealth journey or earliest money memories or your entrepreneurial journey and how you remember having your first glimmer of wanting to go that route in your life. And we'll cover both. So it's not like you have to choose one. We just start somewhere. Well, actually, they're very intertwined, which is interesting. No one really ever asks my first money memory. So I'll I'll share that. I have shared it once or twice, but on the Factora podcast, I always ask women. So it's nice to be asked as well. Mine was not positive. And one of the things I've learned from asking so many women their first money memory is it's 50-50. Half are positive, half are negative. None are really neutral. Like There is a feeling that comes with understanding that money is something important and there's a weight to it. And Usually that memory happens during childhood. So mine was that my mom was crying at the dining table, balancing her checkbook. There were a bunch of receipts stacked up to her left and she was just streaming tears from her face. And this actually was something that happened on many occasions. And I didn't understand exactly, but I knew that it was bad. And I would go to my room, leave her alone, and then write her a a note and then slip it under her door. Like, it's okay, mommy. Don't cry. And so I grew up with a single mom who worked really, really hard to provide for us. And she was a real estate agent. So there were good times and there were bad times, but there was no consistency. And she did not have quality money habits. So when she made money, she spent it. She never saved. She never prepared for when there was a gap in money, which happened all the time or seemingly annually at least. And then I, we would cancel one of my dance classes or we wouldn't do this that year. And you know, these things were all okay, but as a child, they definitely felt like a heaviness. I just was never sure. There was an instability with money in our household. And that was an underlying thread of growing up. My mom, to this day, has not saved for retirement. 
which is very interesting because of the line of work I'm in. I know. Has she not taken a factor circle? She has not. My mother-in-law has, which I give her a lot of credit for. But she's had a very different upbringing with money because my mom, as I mentioned that story in Brazil, she actually grew up in a very wealthy manner. My grandfather was in oil. They moved from the U.S. to Brazil. They lived this incredible expat life with, with many other families, some from Europe, some from the States, some from Asia, all in Brazil, all doing different business ventures and doing really, really well until they didn't. <laughs> hmm. The Brazilian government apparently seized my grandfather's business at one point. They had to move back to the States. And then my grandmother got very sick and passed away. And just all of these things kind of erupted. So my mom went from this beautiful, wealthy lifestyle growing up. I mean, I remember her once saying to me, oh yes, in the fall, we would always fly to Argentina for our leathers. I said, what is that? <laughs> And she was like, well, to get our new horse saddles and like our jackets. I was like, what? You flew private planes to go get leather from Argentina. Like mm. it just blew my mind. But that was pulled out from underneath her very quickly. And I think she did not have any lessons from her dad on how to handle that money. And, and both of her parents w passed away before she was 22. So she just had this like exotic, rich, you know, multiple houses, a lot of um, drivers and, you know, kind of coddling. And then suddenly she was alone with a child in the States trying to make ends meet. So that was her story. And I think that she just didn't manage to ever stop and figure out how to create strong financial habits. And that means that she will be a financial responsibility of mine in the future. And I've always known that. But I think it is definitely a huge impetus of why I wanted to create strong financial habits for myself. And then once I did, and I loved it so much, I wanted to create it for more women because there's plenty more women who are going to have to take care of other family members. I have met many of them in Factora. I was just having a conversation with someone who told me that they're going to be taking care of their adopted sibling who has a lot of needs and her parents aren't doing well. So you never know when you are going to be taking on a financial responsibility outside of yourself. And women are really incredible in that we are loving caretakers, but you can't care just with love. You need the money too. So that's my, that's a little bit of my background. I've definitely never shared all of that. And then if you switch to me, when I was leaving college, I wanted to live in New York. I managed to get a job at the Estee Lauder companies. That was my first real job. And I was so excited. I thought, this is it. This is how women find their power in America. And I'm going to have this awesome job at a company that people know. And that's, that's how I'll find my self-worth. I'll just go up and up and up. And then I'll ultimately be the CEO of some Fortune 500 company. And everyone will know I'm really driven and intelligent and awesome. Well, I hated that job <laughs> from mm. day one. 
I was a glorified administrative assistant, even though I was in the marketing department, we didn't do any marketing. There was no creative ideas that came from our team. We hired agencies who did creative things, and then we just managed those agency contracts, making sure they have their deliverables on time, that they're getting paid. It was really terrible from the beginning. I just thought, oh my gosh, I've been so duped. I thought that this was going to be everything, and it's nothing of what I thought it would be. So I left after a year and a half to start my first company. So Factoria is actually my second company. My first company was a luxury loungewear line called AMOA. <laughs> I spelled it differently than Moet because I didn't want to get in trouble. Mm-hmm. So A-M-O-A-Y instead of the sh- like the champagne. And um, I wanted to have my face on the side of the bus like Carrie Bradshaw and be this glamorous New York fashion designer. Well, everybody has that dream. So (laughs) there were a lot of us. Yeah, exactly. Everyone in New York. So there was a lot of us trying that. I had to go back to school. I went to FIT to get some fashion credits so I could learn how to do my own sketches and different sewing techniques, all just so I could really talk to um, these different cut and sew factories in a way that they didn't take advantage of me. And anyways, it, it was a great experience. I learned so much and I, I truly believe that I created the best woman's robe, not on the market today. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was a one size fit most, basically a, a two to a 10, it would comfortably fit. And we custom made a microfiber that we had to source from Korea that we would heat transfer prints onto. Because obviously bathrobes are really fluffy, but you don't feel very sexy in them. Lingerie robes are very sexy, but you don't feel very covered in them and you can't put them on right after the shower. There's probably nothing worse than the feeling of silk or satin on wet skin. So we wanted to create something that was useful but also beautiful. And I'm a really big lover of film noir. So I would see all these movies of these women in the 50s who looked elegant before they were even ready in their dressing gowns. So that was my idea for it. And it was great. I mean, these these robes were beautiful. They had um, every sort of print and pattern on them. And I would they had kind of smoking jacket collars. So those would be houndstooth. And then maybe the actual rest of the garment would be some sort of florals. And so it was this really intense color and mix and match. And I actually fell into the wedding industry because guess who needs custom robes? Mm. (laughs) Women who want to surprise their bridal party with something nice to get ready in. So that was my first experience with being an entrepreneur, I did it for about three, three and a half years. And I had a business partner. I had more equity than she did because I was the creative director and the creator of the idea. Um, and she was more the operational person. But she lived in another place. She lived in DC while I lived in New York. And it was just really hard for us to go to the right trade shows and do this. We had no money. And here's the financial aspect that ultimately had to do with Factora. I cashed out of my first 401k 
to have capital to run production on our first line of robes. So the only reason that's funny now is because that was a financial mistake, but no one doesn't make financial mistakes. They're okay. We just need to learn from them, right? So that was definitely a setback. That money could have been growing these last 15 years, but I didn't have any other money at the time. So the reason that that business ended up having to be shut down is one, we weren't making enough money. And two, I was feeling very personally financially stressed. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs who don't have their personal finances in a good place feel this stress and it doesn't allow for their idea to fully flourish in the world when they have this really heavy concern of like, how am I going to pay for my apartment and food and whatnot? So that's what ended up happening. I had to, I had to walk away and I had to pay off debt from that business and it took a few years and it was a really, really painful experience because it meant I failed. I had told the world that I was the robe woman and then I had to go back on that. And it made me think that I would never start another company again because I didn't want to put myself in such a precarious position. But we know the ending of this story. I did. (laughs) (laughs) So after licking my wounds for a couple years, I ended up realizing when I went back to work that it was very early in the conversation about equitable, equitable pay for women. But I knew at my company that I was making the least And I was in a sales function where I was bringing in the most for the company. And that's a good position to be in if you're going to negotiate your salary because you've got all the numbers in your favor. Whereas if you're at a company where you're an individual contributor and you can't really see how there's a return, for example, if you're in a marketing department or if you're just in a different function that's not directly tied to sales, it's harder, but I was in sales. I was selling. This company was making a quarter million dollars a year because of me. And my base salary was way lower than other people's. So I stood up for myself. I I negotiated my salary. I got a $25,000 base increase, which you'd think sounds really, really great. It was, except for two things happened. I spent it all right away because I had no strong financial habits. Literally before this money ever came into my account, I was like, I'm going on a trip. I'm getting this bag. I'm moving apartments, which is called lifestyle creep. And it's something we talk about a lot at Factora, but I didn't know what it was at the time. I just thought I've worked really hard. I deserve this. So I went out and got it, which just added additional stress. And I felt extreme resentment for, towards the company, which happens to a lot of people when they have been underpaid for their services. So I didn't stay there very long. I thought, oh, this is so great. I'm finally getting my due. Now I can move on with this company because I'm not mad at them anymore. Well, turns out the anger turned towards resentment. So I ended up becoming a salary negotiation coach because I had helped myself do it. So I was telling everyone I knew how they could do it. You go to Glassdoor, you go to salary.com, you go to LinkedIn, you get the band because there's a top and a bottom. You make sure that you are in between that band, but you should be towards the top because there is not one woman I know that doesn't work hard when she works for someone else. 
She has a job description to do and she does it. Women are so responsible, so reliable. We're incredible. I'm the biggest fan of women. And you should be making the top of that band. And so I was helping different friends set up their negotiations and the different scripts that they could say to their bosses and how to navigate that. And then they were turning their friends on to me and their friends. And I was like, okay, I'm going to charge for this. So I did that for a while. And that's, that's when I really had my light bulb moment. When I realized that just because you make more money doesn't mean you have more money. Because all of these women were getting big salary increases, 10000 15000 20000 And they were going out and spending it just like I was. So I couldn't unsee this natural effect of when people make more money, they're just spending more money. They're not being smarter with this new money. I meet so many people who think if I just made more, I'd have less problems. Doesn't work like that. If you don't have a solid financial foundation and you don't have good money habits and you don't have a system working for you with automated savings, automated, automated investments, if you don't have investments, which I didn't at the time, I had not one dollar in a brokerage account because I'd cash out of that employer sponsored retirement plan and I had never opened an IRA. I had never gone and started investing on my own. I realized at that point I needed a total financial revolution. And I remember writing in a journal in 2016, I need a financial revolution. This is ridiculous. I am approaching 30. I don't have any money in my accounts, but I make a lot of money. What is wrong? I have to fix this. And I admitted it to myself. And then I got to work. I started buying personal finance books, listening to personal finance podcasts, consuming things on investopedia.com at night. Do you know how hard it is to make yourself read about portfolio diversification after you've had a full work week in New York? I mean, it's terrible. But I just, I pushed myself so hard because I knew I needed knowledge that I didn't have from school or from home or from my friend group. So that's how I got started. And then ultimately, I did fix my finances. I was able to pay off that business debt so quickly. I felt great being debt-free. I was able to put some money into savings. So I had my first emergency fund ever. I opened a brokerage account. I was able to automate just a little bit of money a month there. But as soon as I started seeing my money make money, I was just addicted. So I wanted to automate more and more. And it just spiraled from there. I kept learning. I kept doing. I kept tweaking. And I kept feeling more and more confident. And so that led me to wanting to create Factora so that women could have that relief that I felt when I finally had an organized financial life and a money system that was working in my favor in the background. Instead of that fear of checking your accounts, And that feeling of depression where there's less in there than you had hoped and that savings that you promised you would do at the end of the month can't be done now because you overspent. 
All of that can be avoided if you set up a structure and a system with automations. And I had finally done it and it felt so good to check my account and it was the right amount in there because everything had been paid to check my savings and it had already had its automatic draft before I could touch a dollar to check my investments and they were going up and up every month and to check my credit score. And that was getting better. Everything was just working and I wanted other women to feel as relieved and confident and excited as I did. And that was the beginning idea for Factora. Mm, Mic drop. What a journey. You're an amazing storyteller. Wow. You took us in so many, so many journeys at once. And I have a few questions that came up in there. But first, I want to ask you, so give us a picture of what your relationship with money is like today. I know you were invested in several different assets. You've been killing it on real estate. You've been really courageous in investing in your own business. So what is your relationship like? What does wealth mean to you today? And what does it actually look like in terms of systems and structures and where you invest? Yeah. I My relationship with money today is magnificent. I love money. I call it in. I I use it always in relation to my values. I'll give you an example. My husband and I were just about to go on a trip, but we had just come back from our baby moon in San Miguel de Allende, which was beautiful. And we had the most luxurious, just open days. We didn't touristify anything. We had no plans and hung out a lot at the pool and consumed some books. And it was just fantastic. We met random people. We just had the best time. And we had pre-booked this trip in advance. And then suddenly we got home. It was going to be two days before we had to turn around. And we were both feeling stressed about it. So we went on a walk and we went right through our values. And so some of our values include boldness. Well, this isn't a bold trip. We were going to San Antonio to stay in an Airbnb. We just got back from a bold trip. San Miguel de Allende. I'm eight months pregnant. I was walking up hills. You know, that was a very bold. Every view that we saw was just gorgeous colors, beautiful culture, etc. This wasn't going to be that. D layer. (laughs) It's a little layered to have to pack up your dog, pack up your groceries, go to this other house, etc. So we went through our personal values and we said, we're going to cancel this trip and we are okay if we have to lose our deposit. Fortunately, I messaged the guy on Airbnb He gave back the full deposit. And I honestly think it was the karma of saying the truth. Like we we overextended ourselves. I'm so very sorry. Would it be possible to cancel? And I hope that your place can get rented this weekend. With no expectation, he doesn't have to give us a full refund. I I was willing to to take a loss. And instead he did. And I think that that's just an a nice story about how I am with money today because I used to be the opposite. If I spent on it, I had to fulfill the duty. I would never use money in what I might consider a wasteful way. And this could be wasteful, but it's not. It works with my values. I want to stay home. I'm very pregnant. I want to nest. I have a lot of things I need to do here. And that trip just wasn't the right timing. So my relationship with money today is a lot happier. It's a quality relationship. I can be honest with money. I can be honest with myself about my choices. I have this values filter to use for any and all situations, which feels really good. 
And I love investing. I'm absolutely obsessed with investing. Investing can be such a intimidating word and there is a lot behind it. Like to invest, people say it for everything. Oh, I'm going to invest in that furniture. I'm going to invest in myself to take this course. I'm going to invest, you know, in the stock market. In that robe. Exactly. I, I wish there was honestly like a word that was specific to financial investing. Mm. I think we need more terminology. But when I am speaking about financial investing, it is dynamic. There's many places to invest your money. There's many assets that you can buy. I really appreciate buying assets that are income generating. So we have a portfolio of four houses, but it's actually six doors, meaning two of our houses. We, well, one, we used a tactic where we split um, single family home into a multifamily home by renovating a garage into an apartment, added a bathroom and a kitchenette. And then another house, we actually built a carriage house in the back. So that went from a single family home to a second door because there's a back house. So we've been very bullish on Austin real estate, and I'm glad that we have been. We started buying in 2018, and we've acquired these four properties or six doors within just the last few years. And then it's been a wild market, as you know, with the pandemic and with a lot of people moving here. It kind of feels like we're, we got just the last minute before the, the San Francisco tech boom. You know, we've got these really incredible macro factors happening in Austin with Elon Musk moving here and Apple expanding and Samsung expanding and all these companies are really putting a lot of focus and expansion into Austin and our homes our home values are seeing the benefit of that and our rents to be quite frank which has been really good. So we cash flow a lot from our real estate portfolio and then we obviously have a lot of stock market investments. We invest about 30% of our income monthly. So we have a very high investment rate. That's very important for us to keep up. And we are actually able to use proceeds from our real estate and put it directly in the market. So we're using one asset class and that's cash flow to go into another asset class. And the coolest part about money is we can turn that off or we can change that whenever we want to. So my husband and I love to talk about our finances. We have a monthly long meeting, but I'm going to be honest, we talk about money probably every other walk we take in the morning. I mean, we just love it. We absolutely love it. We're like, oh yeah, we're, solar is happening with this and like we can get a tax credit and blah, blah, blah. Like we just, we absolutely, it's, it's very gamified for us and it's very empowering for us to make sure that we're setting up our family in the most successful way. And there's no denying that it costs money to have a family. So we have to be thoughtful about how we're spending it and where we're putting it so that it can grow. So we're always talking about money. How else is our... Oh, and I do want to share this. I am personally not that interested in the stock market. Here's why. The stock market is a place where all of these companies go and they offer their initial public offering and then people like us can buy. A piece, and then you have a part ownership in that company. Well, I don't have the time or the personal interest to learn about 
solar companies and different <laughs> logistics companies. And I don't want to buy consumer companies like Coca-Cola and General Mills and all these companies I don't even believe in. So for me, the place that I can make the most value creation is through building my own company. So my husband and I really share the real estate responsibilities. I focus on building Factora and he focuses on our paper asset portfolio. So we mostly buy funds. However, he has a concentrated portfolio of stocks, which every quarter, if he wants to switch them out, he gives me a little presentation of why he wants to go into the energy sector and why this company and et cetera. So he has a little budget to play with there, which I love because stock market can be really, really successful. But you have to, if you're, if you're individually buying companies, you have to be really ready to read their reports and be in the know of that sector. It's a lot of work. Like there's no getting around it. The way we teach paper asset investing in Factora is the more boring route. If you can use funds that are well diversified, you don't have to go and do all this work and make sure that you picked the exact right companies, but he loves it. So he does paper assets, we share real estate, and I work on our business investing. Before we continue, I wanted to share with you about the sponsor of this episode, Silver Biotics. Have you heard of silver as a supplement? Yeah, you heard that right, silver. I've been hearing about its immune-supporting properties for years and got to experience its power in its fullest this past season. I've been taking Silver Biotics daily to help keep my immune system on guard from those tiny body invaders. It has helped restore my immunity to recover and get back to business so quickly. Talk about a biohack. When used as a preservative, silver salt technology can inhibit the growth of bacteria, yeast, and mold in the product. Pretty cool, right? It can also help with oral health and skin conditions. Silver Biotics brand is perfect for taking control of your own health as they offer products in several health categories, including dietary supplements for immune support, skin care, oral care, and wound care. Here's the thing. Not all silver is made equal. Silver Biotics brand allows you to access the power of silver like never before. They've taken the old technology of silver and improved it to create the next generation of true colloidal silver products with their silver soul technology. In addition to using their immune support supplement, I've been using Silver Biotics Armor Gel. It's incredible for all kinds of cuts, wounds, burns, sun damage, and bee stings. I had our contractor use it the other day for exactly that, and being the country person that I am, I always have it handy. Silver Biotics products have super clean ingredients that have passed my personal test. There's no parabens, no synthetics or sulfates, and when they use scent, they only use the highest quality essential oils, not fragrance. I am also excited to test their toothpaste, so stay tuned for that. If you want to make a powerful addition to your daily routines and medicine cabinet, Silver Biotics is an awesome brand to check out and keep on your radar. Go to silverbiotics.com and use code Ksenia, K-S-E-N-I-A, for 20% off your first-time order. That's S-I-L-V-E-R-B-I-O-T-I-C-S.com, code K-S-E-N-I-A, for 20% off. You can also find that link in the show notes. And now back to this episode. 
First of all, I want to acknowledge all of the research you did to put the Factora curriculum together because I've dabbled into trying to understand this world myself and I didn't really get anywhere because when there's so much information out there to be able to structure it and apply it to your life in a consistent way, that is a lot of work, Allegra. So I really want to acknowledge you for doing all of this homework for all of us who are in the Factora community, because that is like lifetimes and lifetimes of research and not just research, but applying it and testing and seeing what works. Well, I really appreciate you for saying that. I want to be very clear. I didn't do it alone. My head of product has been incredible. I mean, Factor is what it is today a lot because of her. I knew because of my own experience how overwhelming it is to open up a, a browser, type into Google your financial issue, like whatever it might be. Should I pay off my student loans? And then just thousands of things pop up. And the biggest problem is that oftentimes the information is best suited to someone who's only dealing with that problem and they're not considering the other aspects of their financial life. Like like an article might say, yes, you should pay off your student loans if you don't have any other debt. But what if someone is carrying high interest credit card debt month to month? So they need to compare their APRs. Do they have an emergency fund filled up? They, they have to have... Your financial life isn't siloed, right? There's a lot of elements to it. So you have to consider all of it. So what was really important to me is to help women see that. How could we build an actual framework so that women could go through, okay, high interest debt steals from my wealth. What's the antidote to that? Well, I think budgeting is like diets. It doesn't work. It's restrictive. We give up. So how can you create a values-based automated system? And then beyond that, do you have the emergency fund? And then beyond that, what are your near-term goals that you need to be saving for? How can you be doing it automatically, strategically? And then beyond that, what are the investments that you're putting into place for all of your mid and long-term goals? And so once we built an actual framework around this, it was much easier to maneuver the different educational materials that spoke to each one. But I appreciate you so much for saying that because it has taken us three years to get the flow down in the way that's best. And coming up this fall is our 28th well circle. We've had over 1,250 customers. We started, the very first well circle had eight women in it. I did eight women at a time trying to learn, okay, what order should I do this curriculum for the first eight well circles? Then we did 60. Then we did 100. Then we did 200. Then we did 400. So we've been multiplying the amount of women we can fit in each time. Thank you, technology. I couldn't have done that in a small room. Really couldn't have done that when the pandemic hit. No one would have joined me. So, you know, there, there are silver linings to what we've all been experiencing. And one is being able to have this community, even though we're all spread apart. But I really appreciate you acknowledging that because it has taken a lot of work. And every time we finish a well circle, we get extensive feedback. And wherever we see a common thread or a confusion, we go and we, we immediately try and rework that so it can be more digestible. So our whole ethos is women are busy. We're modern women. So we need 
a course that really suits us. And to me, that is something that is well-designed, that is well-laid out, that has support to it. It's not just a self-directed online course that you take at night by yourself. It needs community. Or, or you say you will, but then you never actually do because you get... Busy. Exactly. It's so nice to buy it and feel, and feel like, oh, this is going to solve my problem. But then you have to do it. And so we believe that showing up as a group gives this collective atmosphere of like, we're all doing it. We are all here to change our financial story, to enhance it, to make our net worth higher. We all have that goal, right? Like we all want more money so that we can have more opportunity in life for ourselves and our loved ones. So yeah, I just really appreciate you for saying that. Mm. Yeah. You know, and something else I mentioned in my solo podcast, but I, I'm going to say it over and over again. This could have been the most organized course I've ever taken. And I've taken a handful of courses. So I can tell all the work you've put into it. There's, and particularly what I appreciated about it, one is that you don't tell people what to do. You say, here's the language, here's how you can understand it. And then you take your own values, you journal on what is important to you, what your goals are, and you apply it to what's possible and you decide what actions you take. So you never say, this is what you should do. There's so many answers and possibilities, but I never felt like, and being taken down somebody else's path. And then what I also really appreciated is, it's also no BS, how you said you take feedback. Well, I also noticed that there was a lot of times, because there's hundreds of women, how you guys energetically hold that many people is absolutely incredible and are able to answer all of the questions and keep everything tight and organized. I really kudos to you. But sometimes there would be questions or feedback that's like, hey, why don't you start an additional Slack channel? Or why don't you do this here? And then the team would jump in and very gracefully say, hey, we actually tried this. And majority of feedback was that it didn't work. And so being able to, instead of running and chasing after pleasing every customer, actually trusting the systems you've created, even if some somebody won't be super happy with it, and trusting that that's for the best for the whole community, that also takes some courage. Thank you. And and it's hard. We we do want everyone to have the best experience, but we really have tried as many things as possible. We're going to continue trying things. But someone gave me this advice when I was starting my first company, but it's absolutely applicable to any company. You can't please everyone and you'll die trying. As in the business will will dissipate if you're trying to make everyone happy. So the best thing we can do is stick to our learnings and give as much as we can to the larger group. And sometimes that is going to disgruntle people who want it done a certain way. Um, but I, I appreciate you saying just that the, the course is really organized. Um, I didn't. I was not a connoisseur of online courses before I created one. And I honestly think that that benefited the company because all I thought about is what would I want? I would remember back to me sitting in my living room in New York, trying to understand this stuff, trying to watch videos of like old white guys explain really complicated investment materials with ugly graphs. And I was just like, oh my gosh, my brain is broken. And I just kept thinking, how would I want to receive this material? How would I want to be able to 
talk about this so that I actually understand it instead of being alone and just rereading, rereading, rereading. And so all of those elements ended up coming into the course, why we do the breakout rooms, why we have the Slack channel. So many people said, I'm crazy. This is logistically clunky. Why do you do it? And I've just always stuck to my belief that this is why it works. Things that are great are typically hard. How else do they become great? You know? So thank you for saying that. It means a lot. Hmm. So you could have gone out there and created a brand around you and your beautiful champagne inspired name, be like Allegra, the financial empowerment coach, but you decided to create a company. Was that an intentional decision from the beginning to build more of a company and a community instead of going on your own? And also, what was the funding like behind it, especially as compared to your first company? Ksenia, these are such good questions. Um, No one has ever asked me that. I don't think anyone has really identified how intentional that was. There are so many what we call financial influencers out there, and they're using their name, their brand, and they have way more followers than us, by the way, because people really like to hear directly from a human. And while I'm absolutely involved in Factora and I do the training and I'm willing to put my story out there, what I didn't want was this to be about me. This is a way bigger concept. This isn't, I get a lot of followers so that financial institutions want my audience so they come and pay me to to do partnerships. That's how a lot of those financial influencers make money. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I did not want that. What I wanted was to solve our mission of leading 1 million women to 1 million in net worth. And I did not think I could do that authentically and with integrity if I didn't have a real education platform and team behind the mission to support it. So we have always wanted to do quality over quantity. That's why we've only been able to service a little over a thousand customers so far because we've been really thoughtful about, okay, how many more people can we fit in the well circle and still be able to give them a good experience? And we're always trying to push ourselves and upgrade that, but not to the detriment of the company. So yes, that was very intentional. Also, I'm about to go on a four-month maternity leave. I knew I was building this company at age 32. And one of the biggest reasons I want to have solid finances and build wealth is so that I could have a big family and be a matriarch. That is my goal in life. And so I couldn't do that if I'm the face of this company and it depends on me for you know, all of our profit. So that was just never going to, to work. So yes, it was very intentional to create a full company and a strong brand outside of myself. And that's why I did it. Remind me your second question. How did you fund it and how was it compared to your first company's funding? Great question. Okay. So I met my now husband when I was on a trip from New York to Austin. I was at South by. I had just left my last company that was in fashion um, in New York because I was so obsessed with 
personal finance at that point that I wanted to work for a financial company. I was like, fashion is consumer driven. This is not helping women. I literally want to be in this space where I'm feeling so empowered. So I was making a really big career transition from fashion to finance. So I had actually just quit my job before that South by Southwest. For any listeners who don't know, South by Southwest is a big tech festival that happens in Austin annually. And I had been coming here for many years for different New York companies to throw events. And this is my favorite one yet because everyone at South by is slinging something, right? They, you know, they work at one of these tech startups and they want to make a relationship and whatever. And everyone kept saying, Oh, what do you do? And I would say, I'm retired. (laughs) I don't do anything. And they were like, Okay, why are you here? And I was just there to have a good time. Ended up meeting my husband and quickly realized that this was pretty serious and I didn't want to stay in New York. And when you know more and more about a subject, it opens your eyes to a lot of things. I immediately knew that my money would go a lot further in Texas than it would in New York City. So part of my financial journey was like, how can I reduce my expenses? And this was an additional way. It's not the only way. I was also in love and I wanted to move here. So I moved here pretty quickly. Both his friends and my friends thought we were crazy. He's five years younger. I was his first serious girlfriend. We're now married and pregnant with our first child. Um, So it worked out (laughs) the end of the story, but we didn't know how it would go at first. And when I came here, literally my flight landed and I thought, I'm going to start a company because in New York, I was in the startup and technology scene after Estee Lauder companies for the rest of my time there. And I lived in New York almost eight years. I knew a lot about venture capital, angel investing. I'd helped some founders get their seed funding. I had been in that whole scene, all these pitch competitions. I knew a lot. And I also knew that in New York, it's really hard to stand out. It's being a small fish in a big pond. Whereas I had this feeling when I came to Austin that I could be more of a big fish in a smaller pond and really get my company out there faster. And that intuition was right. I mean, Factora got so lucky in the early days. We got a partnership with Capital One. We were just doing all these awesome events around town. Sadly, we did have to cancel our South by Southwest Women in Wealth Lounge that had incredible partners. We had Bumble was coming, The Riveter. Like, it's a bummer. But I knew that I wanted to start a company that helped women build wealth. And that is all I knew when I touched down in Austin. So I made a little plan. I said, I can't start a company the way I did last time. I can't have, you know, not enough personal financial space and ability to give it its due time. And companies take a while to turn a revenue and then even longer to turn a profit. So I talked to my then boyfriend about it and I said, this is what I want to do. And he said, I fully support you. I think that this is the best mission ever. Whatever you want to do, let me know how I can help. So I saved up a personal emergency fund of six months runway. I had one of my brokerage accounts with about 25 grand in it that was earmarked to be additional runway. Like, no, I do not want to cash out of that. I want those 
uh, investments to stay and grow, but it was a backup because I could access that money easily. And then with my boyfriend, he said, look, how about I pay for our baseline expenses so that you don't have to pull from that emergency fund or the brokerage? I, I can do that. Let's let's try it and see how it goes. But I think I can do that for a year if we can really get our expenses down. So that was the first place where we gamified it. We never went out to eat for more than $50. We only allowed ourselves to do that twice a week. I mean, we were pretty like, this is all working towards something. You know, We have to make sure that we're not overextended. We have to live below our means so that I can create this company. And I remember buying a little green desk, this little vintage green desk, and I put it in our bedroom because our house is really small. And I launched Factora from that green desk. And I, and I said to myself, okay, Allegra, it's so different this time. You have the money. You have the support. I wasn't alone in New York, which was... I want to share this too for entrepreneurs. It can be a really lonely journey figuring out what to do and keeping yourself motivated to get back up and listen to more no's and run into more obstacles. And so it was really, really nice to have the support of my boyfriend who completely believed that this mission was so authentic and incredible and that I should be doing it. It was like waking up to a cheerleader every morning and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe someone that I'm not even married to was like, yeah, I'll cover our personal expenses so that you don't have to drain this or that, hopefully. I mean, we could have gotten to that point and support you in this endeavor. 15 months later, I was able to take my first salary I only paid myself 30000 to begin with. Then I moved that up to 60000 And then I keep, kept moving it up. And I hired my first employee in summer of 2021. Hired... No, sorry. Summer of 2020. My second employee of January 2021. And now we're a full-time team of five with health insurance, with 401k. I am so proud to be able to provide both economic value for this country and you know deliver solid salaries to my team and we've got bonus structures and and we're going to keep doing more and more and more we want to start profit sharing next year it is as important to me that i build the wealth of the people who are involved in factora as we help our customers learn how to build their own so that's kind of my journey with this company and i never had to drain my savings or my brokerage account. Was there anything that you needed to let go of energetically from your previous experience of failing to really believe in yourself? Yes, I had to completely shift from I failed my last company because that was how I felt for years to that company's failures allowed me to learn and thicken my skin so that I can start again. And I really offer that to anyone who might be listening who maybe started even just a a side project that they really put themselves out there and felt embarrassed because that was the biggest feeling I had. I was so embarrassed that I had told my whole network, this is what I do. This is the thing. And then it was gone. 
And I never wanted to put myself out there in that way again. Like we, we wear our lives on social, right? I shared it on Facebook. I shared it on Instagram. I emailed my whole list, like everyone I knew from college, professors. I mean, I really gave that first company my all and it didn't work out. And, and, and like I mentioned before, I think a big reason that it couldn't keep going was because my personal financial life was a wreck. So I was not very grounded or strong or able to take obstacles the way I was when it took 15 months for Factora to turn a profit. Because with Factora, I had this personal financial strategy that I could always come back to like, okay, how are we doing boyfriend? Oh, we're still doing fine. You, you're not resenting me. We're okay. I can keep going, you know? And we had these conversations and there was a focus on that not being an additional obstacle. Whereas in the first company, I just didn't realize how much it was causing issues inside of me. So energetically, I definitely let go financial stress the second time I started a business, but I also managed to flip my failure into learnings. And as soon as I said that was all learning for this business, I could feel lighter and freer and move forward. And it was, I mean, and I mean that, like I had learned so much. I had learned how to get PR early without a budget. I had learned how to do business development. I was not scared of asking people for meetings and being very specific because I get, I don't know if you, if you get messages like this, but I get a lot of women who write me and they're like, I love your story. Can we just have a phone call? And I think if you had asked me for something specific, I'm happy to give you that advice, but I can't just give out a phone call willy nilly because my devotion and dedication, I'm a stakeholder to Factora. There are other owners in Factora. We are only company owned. We've never raised money. We actually turned down funding in 2020. That's, I'm happy to go into that story. But the women who work at the company are also owners. So I am obligated to them to make sure that the company is doing well. And so I have to be really cautious with my time, you know? Right. And also that's why podcasts are amazing. Exactly. That's just for anyone who might really want to get in touch with someone. I swear if they read your email and you ask them for something specific, we want to answer you. We want to help. But it has to be a clear ask and not just a, can we have a phone call or a coffee? I can barely have coffee with my own friends. You know, I am on a mission. (laughs) Yes, I totally hear you. So there's two different things I would love to get into. And the first one is turning down the funding. You brought that up. I feel like that's a story that is meant to be witnessed in this space. Yeah, absolutely. So as I mentioned, when I was in New York, I was in that startup scene and I actually helped a previous company raise their first 2 million in seed funding. I helped them find the first angel investor. And then we, I created the pitch deck and we went around and did we did the thing, <laughs> the pitch scene. It's really arduous. You got a lot of no's. It takes a lot of your attention and time away from the business, trying to build the right relationships, get in the right rooms, pitch constantly because you it's a funnel, right? You have to get the company out there and the materials shared with enough people that hopefully people will add to your funding round. And it's very hard to do. <laughs> 
So I had already had that experience. And when I started Factora, I had really thought to myself, in reflecting on that experience, when that company raised their initial funding, and by the way, had to immediately go and raise a bridge round because they didn't raise enough. And what that means is that the founder's equity goes down, the employee's equity goes down because they're having to create more shares. So the winner in funding situations is always going to be the investor. So that's one thing you have to know, because I think we hear about it out there like venture capital and all these big tech startups and how well it's doing. Well, I I want people to recognize that founders usually walk away with the least. I mean, the employees walk away with the least, but founders do not walk away with as much as they should in most cases, because they'll do anything to keep their company going, which means that they have to dilute their own equity to bring on more money to keep this runway. It's hard. It's very hard. I'm not judging them for it. I'm saying it's unfortunate that they put their life's work into something and oftentimes don't make even remotely what just the money people came along and did. So there needs to be just a side note. There needs to be a factora for founders that are considering investments. Oh, we, we, we want to do a factora fund at some point. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So I thought to myself, okay, that's nerve wracking. If I'm really going to put myself out there again, like I want this to be beneficial for me and to create, you know, generational wealth for me and my family and the employees. I've literally watched friends walk away from their startup equity because it costs too much to pay the taxes on it. And there was no promise of those shares ever being worthwhile. Time and time again. Everyone thinks it's so great to get equity in a company, but you know, 550,000 shares of what amounts to be nothing but a tax burden is not great. So there was that piece of it. And when that company got the money, their investors immediately came in and said, oh, you're focused on women. Why aren't you talking to men? They're half of the US. You would have much larger market share. And they switched their initial goal to make their investors happy. And that moment was really eye-opening to me. I thought, wow, investors come in with the big checks and the big decisions that you have to cater to, or otherwise you don't get the money. And that doesn't feel good to me. That does not feel authentic at all. So I had already seen how quickly investor money can change the natural goal and desire and mission and demographic and everything of the company in like one comment. So I didn't want that either. I surely didn't want Factora to not be women focused. And so we get into business. We have a lot of big wins with these early partnerships. We're gaining traction. We're profitable pretty early on. And I got introduced to an angel investor in Austin who's very prominent. And she, I I wanted to just create a mentor relationship with her. And she was very open to that. And so she asked to join the Well Circle. She joined it. She loved it. She finished it. And she asked, let's talk about an investment. And I have to be very honest. It tickled my ego. (laughs) I loved that this prolific angel investor didn't just learn about us, but actually experienced Factora and wanted to invest. 
that felt so authentic to me. So we started the conversation. We went through due diligence. They offered um, a two-piece funding in a very interesting way. So it was going to be $200,000 in one year in 2020 and then up to $500,000 in 2021, depending on what we needed and some different kind of like goals we were going to set in tandem. And we were an S-Corp at the time. In order to get an investor, you cannot be an S-Corp because on the S-Corp, you can only have individuals listed on the cap table. You have to become a C-Corp. So we talked to our lawyers. We got the C-Corp paperwork going. And then I had this terrible feeling inside that I was mostly catering to my ego. We didn't actually need the money. Once we got the money, there was an expectation to change our technology because right now we're built on third-party technology and they wanted us to have proprietary, which means I need to hire a CTO. I need to get that CTO to run a tech team. I've never done that. I didn't think that we needed to do it yet, but of course I'd love it in the end if Factor had this beautiful app and website and everything was custom. But I just I felt that we could keep going for a few years on our own and make the money that we needed ourselves to build that when we were ready. So at the 11th hour, I I said no and I pulled out of the deal. We contacted our lawyers. We said, I know we just filed for C-Corp. Can we undo it? They were like, what? No one has ever told us to undo this. We just filed all this. I don't even know if there's a grace period. They literally had never had a company tell them to try and undo it. They were able to. There was a 72-hour grace period. Thank you, Texas. And we kept it as an S-Corp because that meant to me that we can't take on institutional money, that this has to be, if you want to be on the Factora cap table, and I'm not saying we'll never take investors, but if you want to be on that cap table, you have to do it as an individual. That's how strongly you have to believe in us. You can't do it as an entity that's protected away from the business's ebbs and flows. Like You have to be in it with us, just like myself and the employees are. The other thing I want to say about that is I never had to write a pitch deck. I never had to go and get no's from a ton of investors before one said yes. And that was the other blind spot I had. That was why it tickled my ego so much because I was able to trick myself at first that, oh, this is just authentic. This person saw it. They brought in additional angel investors who were going to invest. They, they were like our biggest fans. So it was really hard for me to disassociate that like regardless of how much they like the business, they're going to get a bigger upside than we need to give away. So I ultimately felt like the the best thing to do was for the people who already had ownership in the business. Like I said, I'm a fiduciary to Factora. The women who work here and have ownership are my responsibility. And so I thought to do the best for them, I actually needed to not take this money. Because I was also in fear that building that technology would completely sideswipe my focus and yes. pick up my attention. And I didn't know what that would result in. A true matriarch decision, <laughs> truly. It was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was very hard. It seems that the whole moment, though, of the angel investors saying yes and making that offer, that was your Carrie Bradshaw on the bus moment. But then you got it. 
move on. You know? It's true. It <laughs> was almost, it, like. it was almost like just them offering and giving us the paperwork was so gratifying. Cause Tanya, I can't even tell you it meant that it meant that we'd made it in a way that investors thought that this was a valuable business. They could see the potential. I felt really good. And then I ultimately had to dig through that and say like, well, we can't make decisions based on ego. We have to make decisions based on integrity. So that's what we did. All right. I would love to talk about intuition, which is what we just got into and the internet. So what you just shared that story, logically, it sounds like it all made so much sense, but your gut said no, and you follow that and you trusted that. And also I noticed in your language, when I asked you about your relationship with money right now, you used the words, I call it in all the time. So I would love to get into the more energetic, intuitive aspect of this. What did you mean when you said that? So uh, I don't have it anymore because I just moved around my desk, but I've had this little mantra on my on a sticky note on my desk for ages that says, um, money comes to me effortlessly and often. And that's what I mean when I say I've now switched to calling it in. My relationship with money before used to be, I have to work really, really, really hard to get money. And now I have flipped that narrative to say, money is always coming to me. And Yes, it comes to me through Factora. Yes, it comes to me through real estate. Yes, it comes to me through our stock market investments. But it also just came back to me with that Airbnb example. We were going to go on a trip and we didn't. And he he has the right to not refund us. And he did anyways. And I used to have this more kind of collision and just... I don't even know the word for it. I, I'm glad I've kind of lost the words, but it used to be an aggressive, harsh relationship. And now with money, I'm like, I need you. I thank you. You're so wonderful. You provide for me. I, I treat money in a much more gentle and loving way. And so it likes to be around me mm. is my belief. I love that. And, you know, I think something I've been realizing and I'm hearing what you're saying is it's when we switch from, I want this money in my account and we want to just sit there and look at it and we allow ourselves to be vessels for it to flow into our experience for everybody around us to benefit from it. The way you stand up for the women who work with you at Factora, the way you stand up for women who are in Factora wealth circles, like when we become that vessel for it just to flow in our universe for everybody, somehow everything just changes energetically when we no longer hold on to it and grasp it. It's so true. I think money doesn't want to stand still in the same way that nature and humans, we don't want to stand still. My favorite quote in the world is that the only constant in life is change. So the more that we want to keep something trapped, the more there is um, a battle because things don't want to be trapped. Same with money. Money, <laughs> money wants to move around. Money wants to flow. So I think you're absolutely right. Instead of focusing on keeping it in one place tied down, you're much better off if money comes in and then you extend it to, you know, this provider, this vendor, this um, investment. The more places you can put it, the more it like refills itself towards you. It's just... I like that you're talking about energetics because 
I think there is a huge energy to money, just like there's an energy in people. Like we have a lot that we want to do. Well, if I want to go meet up with a friend and have a nice conversation, I'm probably buying a coffee or I'm driving on the way there and there's gas in my car. Like money is involved in everything. So the more we can have a very quality relationship with it, the more it can flow like we do. Yes. In last week's episode, I had Victoria Washington on and she teaches wealth embodiment, which brings somatics and spiritual wisdom and financial empowerment. And one of the things that she offers is this question of, if I were to ask money what its relationship with me is like, what would I write down in my journal? What would actually come up? And kind of switching roles for a moment and being like, wait, hold on. I've been, I've been an asshole, you know? I could definitely be a lot more graceful and kind and intuitive and trusting. That was definitely a huge revelation for me. I love that because I don't know if you did this exercise in the course, you writing a letter to money after you do all of your standout memories of money from your first money memory to just standout stuff. Maybe you had to pay for your own college. You write that down. If it was positive, you put it above the line. If it was negative, you put it below. And then you you draw this line to see was most of it positive or was the majority negative? Because we want you to then write a letter to money about how you're feeling and how you've treated it as if you were writing to a friend. And if it wasn't negative, you're not necessarily apologizing to a friend. If it was positive, you're giving gratitude. Thank you for supporting me at these different occasions in my life. But the point is, I love that her approach was the opposite, asking money how it feels about you. I'm going to have to try that. And you know, thank you for bringing the exercise back. I'm realizing now I definitely can redo that more extensively. I think I like wrote a few things, but I didn't actually go in it. And this is definitely something worth revisiting. So the internet and pregnancy, those are the final things I have on my list for us to cover. You know, you it's interesting and fascinating. You mentioned that you weren't an online course connoisseur before you started this company that is an online course based business. So what role does the internet and social media playing your business besides holding all of it? Um, And how do you find that people discover you and sign up for the Factorial Wealth Circle? Well, I didn't know we were going to be a course company, to be fair. When I started the business, I just had that one phrase, help women build wealth. I didn't know how that was going to manifest. It obviously is a course and a community and I love that it is. But you're right. I hadn't had my own personal experiences with online courses. So we just kind of built from scratch what I thought would be really a good experience. The internet has been so huge for us. I mean, I think a lot about people who created old-fashioned businesses. Businesses before there was no venture capital and no, no getting money from banks even. Like, oh, I have some land. I'm going to start farming and then I'm going to take it to the farmer's market and then I'm going to buy or rent a lot next door and I'm going to expand my farm. And I'm good old fashioned, like build as you can, you know, no ability to leverage other money to scale and grow and be huge right away. But the internet allows you to get to so many more people 
and potentially in front of the exact right customers with all the different Facebook ads, Instagram ads, everything. So we did not start using anything like that until 2021. And I'll be very transparent. No one on our team had any experience with any ad buying. So we have wasted the very little budget that we've put into that. As crazy as it sounds, but I'm very proud of it, we're 100% organically grown. My whole focus has been on customer experience. If a customer has a good experience and they actually change their relationship with money and their financial life, they're going to share it with their friends. Women are gatherers. We're happy to like talk and share the good things in our life. And so that's how we've grown. But you can share with so many more people at one time through social media and through one LinkedIn post, right? Imagine women talking about raising their net worth or opening different investment accounts on LinkedIn, a place where you talk about your career. It's the place where you go to make money, but no one talks about money there. And it's completely two sides of the coin, right? You're, you're working to make money to afford your life. So we have really leveraged the internet to help ourselves grow, mainly through our customers' experiences. And I would love to keep doing that because to me, there's nothing more meaningful than someone taking the wealth circle and then sharing a piece of it. Because I know that people in her life are going to be like, tell me more. <laughs> what, what else? What else? So the internet has been huge and we're going to keep trying to you know, get better and better at putting our, our brand out there in an authentic way. But the most important thing we can do is keep our current customers happy. We have a referral program. We want to keep making that better. We want the women who share our story to also benefit from that financially. I think so many people are like, oh, it's bad to make money off your friends. It's like, you're not making it off your friends. Your friends are spending less and you're getting some money for for marketing the business the way that you would pay an advertiser. You're advertising for us. And so we want to keep doing a lot more of that. And then I think in terms of just the internet in general, It's a wonderful place, but it can also be a very negative space. Of course, it's where you find your competitors and you can feel immediate fear. Oh, this company is is suddenly popped up and they're doing what we're doing. And are they going to do it better? And I believe that comparison is the thief of joy. So I really try not to do that. But I also feel an obligation to be in the know of what companies are doing what and who's coming up. And so I'm constantly, I'm constantly looking. I'm constantly watching. And we, we obviously want to stay relevant. So we have to see what, what's the best out there. And you can find it on the internet. Um, and then, of course, there are some haters, right? Like there are plenty of people who are... We get a lot of men uh, responding on our Instagram <laughs> When we, when we write, maybe we say like, here are seven different passive income ideas. And then a guy will be like, this one's not passive. Are you an idiot? This is why. And we're like, can you just go bother someone else? But there's always going to be trolls. That's part of putting yourself out there. And I actually love that our marketing team is like, leave it. It's better for our engagement than deleting it. I'm like, okay, <laughs> all right, let's do it. <laughs> um, so yeah, we ignore the haters because anyone can be a keyboard warrior and say mean things. 
And I want to be clear, we don't have a lot of haters, but the more we grow, we will absolutely have people who bash us for how we do things and, you know, all of it. So I think everyone plays in that playground though, right? Like we all live our lives online and we all have positive and negative experiences. I'm a big believer that if you don't have negative in your life, you can't even feel positive. Imagine if we just, it was a a constant of like, okay, I don't want okay. I'm okay with bad days because it makes the good days even better. And so I think my relationship You're here with, for bold. Yeah, thank you. I think uh, my relationship with the internet is probably like any other founder. A little, a little love and a lot of like, oh gosh, what's happening now? I love your approach to just, you know, leave it up. Don't give it too energy. And I find that most of the times when I see negative comments in my online spaces too, it's typically people who don't have a profile picture or a profile name who have never posted anything. So I'm just like, you know what? love and light, love and light. I'm not going to give this energy. And sometimes I'll even call myself out. I'm like, husband, Eric, I just got to tell you this one thing. I don't need commentary. I don't need feedback. I'm not giving it any more energy after I say this. It just needs to come out of my system. I love that. I think that I do that a lot with my husband too. I'm like, I'm just going to, I just need to say it, get the complaint out and then we're done. I don't even need to have a conversation about it. But you're right. When I go on to some of these profiles, they typically have less than a few hundred followers and like a handful of posts. And then I think to myself, is this a bot? And if this is a bot, why would they take the time to troll us? It's just, it's so bizarre. Like I don't really understand because I don't write nasty things on people's profile. But I also think to myself, because I don't do that, I don't even know the type of person who does. And so that Mm, makes me feel good about it. Like these aren't the women who are buying the course, who are making the effort to be here. These are just random. Yes, 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 yes. Hmm. So uh, I know you've done specific episodes on pregnancy and preparing for it. So maybe you can point us to those. And in this space, I just would love to know, like, what are you planning to do for the four months? And what are you excited about? Oh, my goodness. Well, for starters, I'm finding that episode so I can give you the title of it. It's called Measuring Motherhood, the Costs of Pregnancy, because, of course, I wanted to talk about some of the financial aspects related to having a little one. We are having a home birth, which is not the typical. I think one of Factora's company values is question the quo, meaning question status quo, Um, obviously when it comes to your finances. But I've adopted that as a personal belief as well. So when it came time for us to decide how we wanted to birth, we felt that a hospital birth wasn't right for us because... It's a very natural thing to have a baby. Women have been doing it for millennia. So there are a lot of interventions that can happen in the hospital and no option for that when you're at home. But when you're at home, you can have your own lighting, music, the comfort of just being in in your house, no fluorescent lights, no people running around. Um, You know, I've, I've only stayed in I've only stayed overnight at a hospital one time and it was for a cat bite, (laughs) which was the craziest situation anyways. And it was such a terrible experience. I just couldn't envision having a baby in that environment. So 
We're having a home birth. I talk about that on the episode, which you're welcome to go listen to. And I'm beyond excited. I mean, I'm completely nervous. I have no idea what this little thing is going to be like. I know it's going to take up a lot of attention. It's going to change my world. And so I think that there's an excited, but there's also a nervous energy around it. You just don't know. We also aren't finding out the gender. So I can't even imagine, is it a little girl? Is it a little boy? I don't know. It's all a big surprise. I don't know how the home birth will go. I don't know what the sex is going to be. I don't know what these first few months are going to be like. But I know it was really important for me to set the tone for a company that's predominantly run by women that I take a four-month maternity leave so that that is something we are able to offer to our employees. Now, I will just caveat that because I'm the CEO, I don't think my maternity leave will be like other women in the company. I want them to be fully offline and just completely enjoying their their new family member. But we are actually due two weeks before the well circle opens (laughs) for the fall. (laughs) So it's really crazy timing. And we're going to be checking in with the team because we want to make sure and support them during that open cart period, which can be a lot going on. Um, so, so it won't be you running it then? I, no, I will not be running it. So we've actually recorded the Well Circle sessions. So now people will watch. We did really beautiful video recordings of the education and they will still come to class for the breakout groups and for conversation. So we've shifted it just a little bit to be more automated, but still live. And, and yeah, we'll just have to see how it goes. I have no idea. Mm. Mm. Experimenting. So leave us with invitation into the next wealth circle. I also have a discount code for anybody who is called to join. And if you want to learn more about my experience, you can listen to my episode on this. I'm going to link to everything that we talked about in the show notes, the coffee and coin podcast um, is also wonderful. Allegra's podcast, the Factora podcast. So what are the upcoming dates? And then if people listen to this beyond that, what's the cadence and when can they expect the next one to be? Yes, absolutely. So I will just mention first, right now we're doing a free summer webinar series. Is totally free. It's three workshops. It's how to keep make and invest more money. So anyone can go to the factorawealth.com website and sign up for those. Those are a nice little look into kind of how a well circle is run so that you can see all the people chatting in the community and they're pretty exciting. But beyond that, if you already know that you want to prioritize your financial life, obviously I recommend taking a well circle. Factora's Well Circle is a 12-week live online course that teaches women proven investment strategies to build wealth. Best part is we get to do it together. So the next Well Circle, we only launch them twice a year, is going to be this fall. It starts in September. It goes through November. But if you join our mailing list or any of these webinars, in advance. We'll be first to let you know how you can sign up for those when the spots become available in August. So yeah, we'd love for anyone and everyone who feels called to change their financial life to join a well circle. Beautiful. 
And um, what's the best way for everybody to connect with you, Allegra, and follow your journey? Yeah, follow me on Instagram. I'm at A.M. Brantley, no Ian Brantley, or on LinkedIn. I love to connect with women on LinkedIn. You could message me there directly, um, but I'm, I'm always hanging out on LinkedIn and I'm sharing my life with my big giant dog who's barking in the background on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anything else that I didn't ask you that you feel called to share before we wrap up? I think the last thing I would love to say is that I've talked a lot about such a beautiful relationship with money. And if you're someone listening that doesn't feel like that's possible for you, I promise it is. Because my relationship with money growing up and in the beginning of my career was very dark and was very heavy. And I never thought that I would be able to shift that. And I promise you with education and focus and support and community, it's so possible for you. So if you stuck to the end of this episode, even if money is something that is not your thing right now, it can be. And my further belief is that it should be. I think money is the best tool that women have to create the life that they dream of for themselves. And I know it can be done in this lifetime. I've watched too many women, even with small salaries, starting from nothing or starting from negative, change not just their financial relationship, but their net worth from a very low amount to hundreds of thousands of dollars within a few years. It is incredible what focusing on something will do for you. We all know that in theory, right? Like if I focus on this, whatever the project is, I'm going to get it done. You have to apply that same effort and attention to money. Because to your point of energy, if you don't spend any energy learning about something that is a frustration or a bother to you, it's always going to stay that. But if you can learn about it, you can make it something that is more positive and impactful in your life. And that's why it's my mission to spread the, spread the gospel that women can not only have more money, but they deserve to. And there's a beautiful thing called financial freedom we teach all about in the Well Circle. So come hang out with us. Yes. And learning about the stories of other women succeeding and the kind of results they've gotten and the changes they've made and the kind of investments they've started doing within the Factor Wealth Circle was one of my favorite things. It's so inspiring and it's so awesome to be in that conversation with women. So really, yes, I second everything you said, Allegra. I'm so grateful that you have done all of this research and work for all of us. And I really encourage for anybody who is feeling this calling in your soul, okay, you know, I'm, I'm ready for my next phase of my journey with wealth and with money. Sign up. Uh, I'm going to put the link in the show notes. I am an affiliate and I'm proud to be one. So if you use the code Xenia50, K-S-E-N-I-A 50, you'll get $50 off and I'll get something and we're building wealth together. Thank you so it. much, Allegra. Have a <laughs> blessed you. day and sending you so many prayers and grace. Uh, for an easeful and blissful delivery soon. Thank you so much for having me on to share about myself and about Factora. And I'm just really happy that you took a well circle and that we can stay connected. Mm, my joy. If you're moved by what was shared in this episode and not sure how to take action, 
start by writing it down. When we notice abundance and clarity in all shapes and forms and honor it, it grows. And if you're called to share the podcast with someone who you know is ready to receive it, follow that. Find all episodes, show notes, and current offerings on XeniaBrief.com. Subscribe to Xenia Brief Podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and a review, and take one deep breath into the knowing that's already within you.